1: My friends. Thank you for joining me today here on WCN-TV. Grateful that you did. The number of songs, movies, and television programs that portray people desperately searching for happiness is hard to calculate, but we know it is a primary theme across all the medians. Everybody is searching for something because human beings have been created to have what my guest today, Dr. J. Otis Ledbetter, calls soul hunger. We are going to be discussing Dr. Ledbetter's book, Soul Hunger. What a title. Satisfy your heart's deepest longings. You don't have to look far for examples, do you, friends? You probably know someone that fits the bill. And uh, in this in this book otis does a does a fantastic job of laying it all out for people um and describing at least nine and and as I read through the book and 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 let me just say this friends i otis and I talked uh, well just just found out I knew it had been a couple of years ago uh April will be two years since we chatted and uh and I've not forgotten this book since we chatted the very first time. In fact, I passed the book along to others and said, please read this book. It's one of those books that, that you'll find yourself wanting to give away to friends and family to help them to discover some things that lying just below the surface, but they haven't really connected the dots. So I want to welcome uh, my guest, uh, Otis Ledbetter, to the show today. Thank you for joining me again, Otis.
2: Such a pleasure. <clears throat> and... Uh, I remember it, it. It feels like it was just yesterday, honestly.
3: Yes. Uh, yes.
2: With COVID and everything, it just flew by, and then twenty-one and being a pastor of a church, it, you, you're trying to help it survive plus the people survive, and yes, it right. just went crazy. And here's twenty-two.
1: That's right. Yep, that's right. Well, this uh, this year in a, in a few months will mark. Um, 7 years i believe since um i i started soaring eagle radio which started out as just a news opinion podcast kind of show and then it kind of uh, developed into something else and um so 7 years this year already and uh and 2 years ago since we last talked um but again, when 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 I run across authors such as yourself, uh, men and women of God who who clearly have a heart for helping people, for representing Him, for for demonstrating the heart of the Father through your actions, um, and I have to tell you, Otis, that 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 episode that we did together a couple of years ago, that was one of the the most well received and and shared episodes that in those seven years that that I did so thank
2: you for saying that
1: yeah well you, you the lord has has done a magnificent work uh, in and through you and the ministries entrusted to you and certainly certainly in this in this book and I, I appreciate your your approach to the book and and the writing of it you place this hunger within each of us within the context of spiritual warfare now there's a there's a uh, an area or a theme or a subject that uh is continues to to garner interest as it should, because yes. I, I think that's what's going on today. There's a lot of spiritual warfare, Otis.
2: Yes, there is. I it it I always remember that when somebody says spiritual warfare, I remember an old Finnish professor that I had in, in seminary. His name is Dr. Eli How are you? One of the best I mean, he could make the Bible just live for you. But Mm -hmm. I remember him coming in one day and saying, called us boys when we we were just boys. then." he said, boys, I'm going to tell you something. He said, if there was a curtain here that I could pull back and let you see into the spirit world, you would probably not, your heart wouldn't survive it. Yes. He said, it is is such a raging war uh, between the spirit and the flesh that... uh, Human, humanly, we would not be able uh, to grasp it. And then he went on to talk to us about spiritual warfare, and it never left my mind what he said. He just that day he made it live. In fact, he, he's pretty scary for a kid, you know. And uh, but it's never left my mind. And you know, I've seen it as a pastor. I've seen people just tell me, you know, pastor, I I, I read my Bible and I pray. And I give, and and I try to walk with God, and I try to walk in the Spirit, but I do all that, and I'm still stuck. What do I do? And that's very difficult uh, uh, to hear, and it's hard to answer, and that's really why I wrote this book. And I think God just just stopped me one day when I was reading the book of Galatians and uh, stopped me in chapter 5 and said, all right. We're, we're going to sort this out here. I'm going to help mm-hmm. you sort it out. And, and uh, my, I asked my secretary, uh, I put two the works of the flesh and the fruits of the spirit on the wall. And she said it was four months of my praying, coming in every morning and praying. She remembers it, that uh, four things started really uh, making sense. So sometimes you just have to stop and think on the hard things. And spiritual warfare is one of the hard ones.
1: Yes, it is. And uh, and people are becoming, uh, I'm thankful for this, that uh, many believers are becoming not just acquainted with the subject, but they're also starting to do some investigation. Um, the scriptures themselves, I've often said, I'm sure you have too, Otis, that the scriptures themselves are a manual for conducting Spiritual warfare—that as we are brought into the kingdom of God as sons and daughters, we're also outfitted with with everything that we need from heaven's treasury to conduct this campaign upon the earth for the souls of people. And uh, and the more we understand about that, I think the better off we are.
2: I, I totally agree with you. Understanding it is uh, is part of of winning it. Yes. Um, If you, if if you, if your enemy is, if you're fighting a faceless enemy, it's almost impossible to defeat them. And if we can somehow just put a face on it, uh, people then can take it from there and, and, um, not get so stuck.
1: Yes. Yes. Well, you mentioned just, just briefly. So I'm going to, uh, flush this out a little bit. Um, You mentioned how the idea came to you for soul hunger, and it is it is uh, uh, juxtaposed against um, um, the fruit of the spirit and and the fruit of the flesh. So so that really is the 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 spiritual warfare and the Lord gave that to you. And and I remember reading here. I'll just I'll just share this quote, Otis, with those who have joined us today. Uh, from your book. It says, one day in my office with an open Bible, I made a list of these works of the flesh juxtaposed to the fruit of the spirit. I wrote them on large sticky notes and placed them on the wall opposite my desk. For days, I studied them to find answers to such questions as these. Why is anger only found in the works of the flesh? Where would they square with anger's antithesis with what the Spirit produces? Over time, after daily meditation on the two lists, clarity began to emerge. I began to see that the fruit of the Spirit was given to satisfy human hungers placed in us by God in a fashion befitting everyone. While the works of the flesh, created by and strongly suggested by, may I say influenced by, Satan, were only substitutes for what God intended us to experience. So I think it's fair to say that this this revelation or this focus that the Lord brought you to and says, I want you to consider these things in Galatians 5. I want you to think deeply about these things. That really started what became Soul Hunger, the book.
2: Yes, it did. It did, uh, because I couldn't figure it out. And I uh, I saw those two lists. And one list is it, it, just like a bucket full running over with human debris. And it's hard to read that list, the works of the flesh. Mm. Um, I've seen so many people uh, lose because of the works of the flesh. And then there's this beautiful nine fruits of the spirit that you could dwell on all the time. In fact, it says there's no law. All the laws on our books are written to control the works of the flesh. None are written to control the the uh, fruit of the spirit because they don't need controlling. And I, I saw them together and they just didn't make sense that those would be listed in the same. So I, honestly, I, I asked some of my professors um, when I was uh, finishing my, a terminal degree, I, I asked them, what do the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit have in common? And they looked at me like a calf looking at a new gate and said, absolutely nothing. I said, that can't be. It can't be. God has them listed in the same chapter. He says they have a relationship because they war with each other and they're trying to get the best of each other. So what is the common ground? Because you don't go to war over some territory you don't want. That's
1: right.
2: You don't go to war over territory that's not worth anything. Uh, you, you just let that go. that's not a that's not a helial Dion.
3: right. So
2: what is ground zero? What is ground zero? And I began to appreciate that what was on that wall in my in my office, just right over there, I began to appreciate what was emerging were the real hungers squeezed between two structures that the Bible had set up for us, two structures, these two lists, and each challenging the other over common ground. Yet yielding opposing outcomes, they, they're they after the same thing, but they have different outcomes. And even though both promise to satisfy these hungers that God gave us at birth, yes. and we're forced every day, we're forced every day to make a choice because the two sides are um, mutually exclusive. So we've got to make that choice every day.
1: And I found I, I found it interesting, Otis. I, I found it interesting because you, you have a chart on page 15. I I went ahead and read Galatians 5 again today, <laughs> and thought, thinking about that in in uh, in light of our conversation now, um, and I counted up 17 words, uh, works of the flesh. 17 yeah. of those uh, yes. versus eight fruits of the spirit. Now, now what what I found interesting about that is that it's almost two. Well, it's actually a little more two to one fruits of the or works of the flesh as opposed to fruits of the spirit now some people would see that and say, "Well, we're overwhelmed and so this 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 soul hunger it's 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 a it's a weakness and actually having that hunger within us as a believer that's actually a strength isn't it
2: it is that's what it was intended for and you know c s lewis in in saying that the desires that we have, God gave to us. He said, God would not give us a desire that he could not satisfy. No good God would do that. And so all those desires that we have, he has given us, The when when that appetite comes, that hunger comes, he has given us the fruit of the spirit that will satisfy that. And it's interesting. Yeah, We have 17, what I saw is 17 works of the flesh, nine fruits of the spirit. There's two for every fruit of the spirit except one, and that's um, uh, truth, or the hunger for uh, for truth, uh, which is faithfulness. Uh, mm-hmm. And and then it, the reason it only needs one is the opposite of it is heresies. Mm. And how can you describe anything opposite of truth except heresy? It's my truth against God's truth, so that it only needs one. And it's interesting how that chart worked out. Two for every one except mm-hmm. truth. It just needs one. It's either truth or it's not.
1: That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. It's either truth or it's not. So w- what happens, uh, Otis, when when this, this soul hunger um, gets out of balance? Is that a good way to say it? What, what happens when it becomes unbalanced?
2: Yes, that's, that is a good way to say it. Um, it becomes unbalanced because of our uh, uh, need for and leaning toward instant gratification. You know, we have microwave ovens with this computer. I have, if it waits one second now, it, it, I'm mad at it. You know, it, why can't you give me what I need? We want things and we want them now. We want them instantly. You know, that's just a part of us. And the devil says these things that I have, I can give them to you right now. And God He says the good things are going to, it's going to take time. If you, if you develop a love relationship, agape relationship with God, that's over a period of time. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, uh, when the hunger is intimacy, the devil can take you right to satisfaction if he wants to, uh, to adultery and fornication. You know, you just go to the local bar this afternoon and, you know, somebody will be there for the same reason. Mm -hmm. And so it's instant. So that that's what happens. But the 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 thing that I'm seeing now in in this when people have read the book, um, what I'm seeing is they have fought with this all along and really did not recognize it as a hunger that and so they didn't know that you could choose one or the other. You, there's not some, something else to choose, like in intimacy, the agape love. He will satisfy every need for love you have. That agape love is. It's so all-consuming. It's so peaceful. It is so pervasive in your heart. You, you. Any other is just sacrum. That's it. Can, can I? Can I re- read you something that I wrote? Yes, I wrote please. It. Yes. Um, I didn't. I didn't write it, but I got it. There's a uh, and she she's allowing me to use this. She's a, uh, a doctor of, uh, medical science that is, that is in the church now. And she, she read the book and, uh, when she came back, after she came back reading the book, she, she said, I, I need to put this down. I, I need you to see what I'm thinking. And she sent it to me and, um, I read it and she took the test. She took the evaluation and her hunger was achievement. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, she she said this at first, my reason for achievement was to make sure my family could provide uh, for the needs now and in the future. But then she said, I look back and see that jealousy, self-serving attention, and power were my driving force.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It came it became an all-consuming desire. I could never be satisfied. I was coveting what my colleagues had, my self-worth was so wrapped up in achieving the next, best thing I needed to trump, that I needed to trump my colleagues. I started to bulldoze my family and my colleagues, striving for further perfection, physically, mentally, and professionally. By bulldozing, she said, I mean to say neglect, impatience, discontent, and disgust. It convinced me that my family was second to my goals. And because of this attitude, I lost my family. Achievement she she went the opposite direction she went toward the works of the flesh that she thought would give her more the envy the murder and we say well murder she wasn't a murderer well you can you can kill more than just a human body mm-hmm. uh, you can she killed the love that her family had for her she lost all that love and the opposite of that is gentleness and if if you have if you take a test, this valuation and your hunger is achievement, go toward gentleness. And honestly, I've never seen a book that said, uh, that was titled for ambition or achievement. That was titled gentleness. (laughs) (laughs) It just doesn't go together, but that's that's what is gentleness. But I I thought you could, this this, uh, guy and, uh, that I know he's like six foot six, six foot seven. He's he's an NFL player and he wants to achieve the best when he's out on the field. Well, he does what he needs to do. You know, that's a lot of physical stuff, but when you meet him one-on-one, he's the most gentle, humble person you would ever meet. Hmm. And people just love him. They fall in love with him because he's so gentle and yet he's achieved so much that gentleness what do they say? You can certainly attract more flies with honey than you can with vinegar.
1: That's right.
2: And so that's that's it. The achievement. She never even knew that was what it was called, so she didn't know how to combat it. She did not know that was a hunger she had, and when she took that evaluation, her her um, uh, dominant hunger is achievement. Yes. And. It was just fascinating to read what she had to say. Yes.
1: Um, well, thank you so much for sharing that, Otis. That was that was fantastic. And you have some testimonies sprinkled throughout the book. Friends, I am I'm talking with Dr. J. Otis Ledbetter. Soul Hunger Satisfy Your Heart's Deepest Longings. And you can get this at uh Dr. Ledbetter's website. You can go there. All of his books uh are there. It's joledbetter.com. Joledbetter.com. Thank you very much, producer. There are the books. You can click on purchase there and and um notice you mentioned an evaluation in the book. That's I'll just show them a real quick snippet of that. It's there. Um very, very good uh, reading. I've recommended this book. In fact, like I said, I've given this book away to people. Otis, I'm guaranteeing you that there is someone who's joined us for this conversation, and they're thinking that they need to learn how to start choosing differently for a different outcome in their own life. So, so how how would someone who who has a consistent record of bad choices Resulting in, in a miserable life, hit the proverbial reset button and start over and have a new beginning.
2: That, that's really a good question. And I like the word. I like what you use, a new beginning, because we can begin again. Yes. We can. You go you go into the scriptures and you see all kind of humans just like us Mm -hmm. who made a mess of things and God forgave them and they began again and did some great things for God. And so you've got to have that in your mind. Mm -hmm. I think the first way and, and that's that is exactly the reason that question you ask is exactly the reason that I that I studied this because before I didn't have an answer. If you would have asked me that before, I would have said, read your Bible and pray. And, you know, because those are really true. Mm-hmm. It, read your Bible, it should change you. Praying, it should change you. And attending church, it should change you. Sitting under the Word should change you. But so many people don't. They, they, right. they. so you've got to put a face on it. Yes. So I say to them, the first thing you want to do is find out your besetting sin. And your besetting sin is more than likely a relative to your um, dominant hunger.
3: Mm.
2: So, if, if, uh, for instance, uh, uh, for this doctor who wrote this, she didn't know her her hunger was achievement, but she instead of going to jealousy, she went to envy. She went to jealousy. She she went to all these things to get what she wanted to get above her uh, colleagues. Uh, so if a person does not know the enemy is faceless, you can't fight them. So uh, I also have something, Mike, that's on uh, It's it's on the internet. It, it's under hungertest.com, hungertest.com. And if a person goes there, scroll all the way to the bottom of that page and hit the blue, the dark blue start. Uh, uh, Yeah, there it is, all the way to the bottom of that page and hit start. It gives you 10 questions to answer. And nine of them go toward what your hunger is. The 10th one is an algorithm that was built in. Then that will uh, do some kind of mathematics that will tell you what your dominant hunger is according to those 10. And then it will send you an email and tell you what your dominant hunger is, and then it will tell you, it will give you a synopsis of the chapter of that book that deals with that. Oh, that's and perfect. So it gives you, it gives you the, uh, uh, it gives you a, a starting place. You, you you know you you can't finish a rate if, race if you've never started it. That's right. And fear really hangs around the starting blocks. Hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, a winner never fears. <laughs> Yeah. But the fear is at the starting blocks. And and am I going to win? Am I going to make it? Am I going to choke on this stage? Whatever. So that fear at the starting blocks is there. So start, find your dominant hunger, and then look at the corresponding work of the flesh. And likely, that's where you you, you headed. And likely, your besetting sin is there. Then you you can see the alternative. You can see on... Uh, my, I, I took this evaluation. My dominant hunger is contentment. It, it is contentment. And so I would have a tendency to get contentment. contentment. It, it, the works of the flesh are idolatry. I'll I worship something, something. I want something to make me content. Everybody's going to worship something.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And if you don't worship Jehovah God, it's idolatry. Mm-hmm. If you're worshiping money, if you're worshiping fame, if you're if you're worshiping a person, you want to be like that person, well that's idolatry. And and it will bring contentment because you can do some things with mind control and certain places they say they get up and they feel real content after they've meditated for a while, had some sort of harmonic convergence or something like that. Mm-hmm. But and then there's sorcery, which is really our, the Greek word pharmakia. It's where we get our word drugs. Drugs will give you contentment, um, and they have chill pills that you can take, and and they work. Uh, you can you can get contentment. I had a I had a mentor of mine, uh, Doctor Henry Brandt, who who asked me one time. He said, "Otis, do you know why people take these pills?" And I thought I was going to get some big. Uh, I was ready for some deep discussion. And I said, no, Doc, why did do they take them? He said, cause it work. <laughs>
3: yeah, that's right. He, he
2: said, but after a while, they're not strong enough. They got to strengthen them. And after a while, they're not strong enough. They got to strengthen them. And then after a while, there's no help. And if you go that direction, you can find for a season, you may be fine. But if you go, if you go toward the peace of God, a peace that he says is beyond all understanding, it passes all understanding. you won't, you can't understand why you have it. you just know you have it. And he gives you that peace which gives you which actually gives you contentment. and uh, there's a difference between contentment and happiness, and the book really lays out the difference in those two.
1: Yes, yes, amen. And again, uh, page fifteen contains the chart. And um, that that relates each of them. And boy, I have to tell you, Otis, uh, listening to you talk about what yours was—that's—I—I I, I can't say that I have a soul hunger for it. But but I know that that what I prize near the top and probably at the top is contentment. Uh, <laughs> I, I I just want to be. I just want to be at peace with the Lord at at peace with my family and other believers and, and, um, and enjoy that. And this season of life that I'm in Otis, right now, my wife and I, Mm -hmm. um, we, we desire to go out in a blaze of glory for sure. We, -hmm. we want to, we want to finish well, represent Christ. Well, point people to Jesus. Um, and we, and we find our contentment there. Uh, but that doesn't mean that other areas of our life we're we're going to be experiencing uh, contentment and, and, and and my life's a testimony to that because we're still involved in spiritual warfare. I guess that's what I'm getting at. We're still in the battle in other areas, aren't we?
2: Yeah. And and what what you were saying, Paul was saying the same thing. and, And he finally came down to it. He said, well, you know, really what I've learned. So it's a learned process. Yes. I've learned in whatever state I'm in, there, be content. Yes. Wherever God has me to be content. So he was looking for it too. Amen. And and a personality Amen. as strong as Paul's, um, you might not find a lot of contentment unless you learn how to be content.
1: <laughs> That's right. Amen. Yeah, because... Paul was a magnet for trouble. He just he showed up, and it showed up after him.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't hang around him. If I was back there with him, I'd I, I uh, I'd go with uh, somebody else. You know, yeah, probably
1: probably Barnabas, Barnabas. the encourager. Right. You know,
2: yeah, I'd probably hang out with him.
1: Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Uh, friends, again, I'm I'm talking with uh, Doctor jay otis led better the book is soul hunger satisfy your heart's deepest longings in your book Otis, you also state that there is a a righteous prescription for every soul and uh for every soul hunger and and i'm wondering if you'd explain for our listeners uh what you mean by that
2: yeah there uh the uh the Bible is not just descriptive, um, and a lot of people live their life with a Bible descriptive image is important to them, and so they uh, they live their life the way a Christian is supposed to live their life, and they've learned that from some teacher. I think we we call it legalism, even, and uh, they 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 say I'm not supposed to wear this, or I'm not supposed to go here, or I'm not supposed to let. My hair do this, or I'm not supposed you know, all all of these things.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: They have they know what they it's descriptive. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't and most honestly, Mike, most most people want that. As a pastor, I think people want me to be their Holy Spirit. Decide for me what I should do yeah. and tell me what to do and be descriptive to me and I'll do it.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And uh it's not that way. That's what I mean. It's, it's prescriptive. Yes. God has, he knows the heart of man is desperately sick. Yes. Who can know it? Yes. He knows that. And he knows that means me,
3: Mm -hmm.
2: me, my heart is desperately sick. And in, in order for me to live with it, I, he needs to give me a path to get out of it. And it's like the doctor, when he, when he sees something wrong with you, He's not just going to describe it. Well, hey, you have this disease and this is what it's going to do to you. Good luck. You know, that's descriptive. Right. No, he becomes prescriptive. And he gives you the prescription in order for you to um, uh, to overcome it, to beat it. And that's what, that's what I mean. What God has given us here with these hungers, those two structured lists, they are so valuable to us mm-hmm. because what he's given us is... How to it's a descriptive, it's descriptive on what'll happen if you don't choose right, and it's prescriptive in the sense that if you choose right, you'll get well.
1: Yes, yes, amen, amen. And we'll take questions if anyone in the uh in the huddle has a question, just raise your hand, and and um, Dr. Uh, Otis will answer your question. But let's so with the time we have left, um, Otis, let's jump into. Uh, a discussion of these nine soul hungers that people are seeking to to satisfy and and we'll start with intimacy because that's number 1 in America everybody is looking for intimacy the problem is the world has uh really deceived people the culture has deceived people about what intimacy truly is and there are so many false substitutes for intimacy out there that i think uh and that's chapter two by the way friends in uh, dr ledbetter's book soul hunger so maybe we should start there with intimacy
2: it's the number one it's the number one hunger um Although when someone takes the evaluation online, it's private, I don't get it they They don't send me and say this person, we get the email because we've got to send you back the response but we don't we don't see that's a private thing, although I don't know why anybody would want it to be private, but it is a private thing, and w- when they get it to us and what but what I can get from the webmaster, he tells me uh, uh, he gives me data. And the data is, uh, but pre-COVID, it, the um, intimacy was about 36% of all the, the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds who are taking it. 36% was uh, intimacy or connection. They want to be connected. After after the results of COVID, that's up, that's up to 56%.
1: Wow.
2: Everybody that's taken this, the evaluation after. So what COVID has done is it has brought out this need for intimacy or connection. And when I say intimacy, I'm not just talking about physical intimacy. Um, you know, you need a best friend that -hmm. you can say the, the deepest feelings of your heart to, Mm -hmm. you know, and it may, it, uh, so intimacy is is more like connection, and um, one of the requirements uh, in, in one of my uh, cl- uh, classes was to read um, uh, Larry Crabb's book, Connecting. He's a Christian psychologist, and when I read it, I, I almost shouted because I had thought this for a long time. He 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 says a lot of what psychologists tell us and what psychology tells us, uh, it's good. It's good for us. And if we listen to it, most of it, it works for us. But he says, what we've come to do is we've come to, to say that anybody who's got some sort of a, a problem has a, a psych, uh, has a psychological issue. And he said, that is not true. He said, everybody who has a problem is not Doesn't need a psychologist. They they don't have uh, um, um, uh, what what he calls a a mental. uh, uh, They don't need psychotherapy or or that. They're just disconnected souls. Mm -hmm. And he said, in in our uh, life, in our uh, circles, you'll find people who are just disconnected souls, and they yearn for intimacy. And they will do anything to get it. And yet it is the one thing that God said to us. If you are if you're heavy laden, if you've got burdens that you just can't bear up under, you come to me. Mm-hmm. Come to me. Don't head for what the flesh has. The flesh will make you forget it. It will distract you for a while. But the minute you indulge in what the flesh has, it's there again. And and God, His uh, His agape love is forever.
1: Yes, and Amen.
2: It's what He told the woman at the well. Yes, you know, I can give you something that will spring up forever.
1: That's right. <laughs> Hallelujah.
2: Well, so intimacy is uh, it, it is amazing the number of people that's their number one issue. Yeah. And, um,
1: yeah. Um, well, I think this is a fair assessment where we're at today that the. Rising number of people who are admitting to struggles with depression, seeking uh, medical remedies to that and and even those who who choose to end their lives through through suicide. And those numbers, uh, from what I've read, Otis, those numbers have really escalated in the past couple of years. I think those are indicators. That something is is out of balance in their lives when it comes to relationships is that a is that a fair assumption?
2: Yes, yes, it is a fair assumption. And the the uh, thing that really hurts my heart is now that the world system's trying to cut off anything that has to do with God, mm-hmm. and God is uh, although uh, psychotherapy and and psychologists. Uh, I'm not saying that they're not necessary or they're, they're bad. They're evil. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is overriding all of that is the love of God, the agape love. And if you can get people there, then you can get them out of that. Um, And uh, if I can mention his name again, uh, Dr. Henry Brandt, who was, who I just spent a lot of time with, he was a, the first Christian psychologist, you know, he, he, he trained Clyde Nairmore and Dobson and Tim LaHaye and, and those, he was the, uh, one of their mentors. Um, but he, he wrote a book called The Heart of the Problem and they took that book into the prison system. And when they got that book in the prison system, these young men who would, and young ladies who would like to take their life, when they met God, uh, uh, the recidivism went down to the singular digits and all, it was just amazing. And how can I say it? God has the answer to your difficulty. Seek his love, seek the agape love. And in the back of that book, um, the back of the book you have there, there's all kinds of scripture. They're not exhaustive, but if somebody really wants to dig into intimacy, they can get into all the scriptures that God says to us about intimacy in the the description for there
1: yes yes in the appendix scripture concerning each hunger let me let me just show you this, friends about that yeah so ties it right back into scripture that's that's beautiful um in chapter three notice you discuss the hunger for happiness what what does it mean to pursue and achieve Happiness from a biblical perspective and and what does the world offer in place of true happiness
2: uh, well, on the chart, you know the second one for happiness is uh uncleanness and licentiousness it's cheap thrills um because mm-hmm. happiness you say when when we say we're pursuing happiness, I think actually what we're saying is we're looking for things that will produce happiness, yes. It's not like contentment, uh, contentment. You don't need anything um, to, to produce that contentment except the peace of God. But in happiness, you're looking for something when we're pursuing happiness. We're actually saying we're looking for things that will produce. happiness. And it might, that might be um, the things to explore something to achieve. It might be uh, even a relationship. Uh, I'll be happy if I get into a relationship and when the off the awful pain of a crushed and dejected spirit when it becomes suffocated, uh, suffocating to us and choking us off from life, the pursuit of happiness, then like it becomes an all-consuming uh, quest. And 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 what it I think what it has caused is um, it is caused in the church, and I see it I see it in my church. Instead of the church being the number one option on Sunday, it's one of six or ten options because one of those is going to bring me happiness this weekend. And I might get happiness in church, or I might get happiness at the beach, or I might get over at Disneyland. You know, I might, but I I, I need to be happy. I want to be happy. I deserve to be happy. That's what we say. So we'll seek it. We'll try to find it. We'll pursue it. We're looking for things that will produce it. And uh, there's not going to be anything that produces it uh, long term. Yes. You're going to have to look for the next thing. But if you, pre- David said, the joy of the Lord is my strength.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: If you want the strength of what happiness brings, you go to joy. You go to the joy of the Lord. Yes. Um, it's a joy unspeakable and it's yes. full of glory. Yes. Uh, and a happiness that cannot be affected by outward circumstances.
1: That's right. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to skip the content in chapter four because that's contentment. And we've touched on that already. And we're going to move on um, to chapter five. And again, friends, uh, Dr. J. Otis Ledbetter, Soul Hunger, Satisfy Your Heart's Deepest Longings. You can get it on uh, Dr. Otis's website. It's there on Amazon for you. I would encourage you to get yourself a copy of this. And and uh, I think what you'll find after you read it, It's going to draw you closer to the Lord because it's going to cause you to do some self-examination, self-examination, improving where we are at in our walk with the Lord. Always, 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 always starts with examining ourselves. We've become quite adept at pointing fingers at other folks, but we need to look at ourselves first on this journey to satisfying this deep longing that God's put in us. And by the way, that, that soul hunger, if you haven't figured it out yet, it's for more of him friends. It's for more of him. (laughs) So chapter five talks about the hunger for justice. Now this is an area of course, that's uh, been given a lot of uh, consideration a lot. It's 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 garnered a lot of media attention and time, and uh, I don't really want to offer uh, comments on that, other than to say that I think it's uh, skewed and uh, even perverted in a sense. How should people, notice, understand justice biblically speaking? That's, that's the key. What, what does the Bible have to say about justice, and what will happen if biblical justice is rejected?
2: And that, is, that is a great question. and I, we could spend we could spend hours on it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: but I think the, the number one thing somebody should do is they should take the hyphen out of justice. Mm. Justice should not be hyphenated. Yes. and and if, if you if you you said you said the just, justice, I I sort of look, started looking this up when I was writing this, and if you, if justice was a family and you st- stood all of those siblings up against the wall, <laughs> and, and asked them to shout their name, if they would say you'd hear I'm criminal justice, I'm distributive justice, I'm environmental justice, I'm juvenile justice, I'm procedural justice, I'm reparative justice, I'm restorative justice, I'm. Yes. You know, all of those—they're yes. yes. all hyphen. Yes. And, but what we need to do is, we need to pursue the chief justice, God. Yes. Because he's the one that said in the book of Micah six eight, here I want I, I, there's one thing I want you to do. I want you to love mercy, but uh, but I, I want you to do justice. Love mercy, but do justice. Yes. and he, there was no hyphenation there do justice and in in the book if uh if, if I can see what what page that's on from the heart of god well, yeah it's on page 90 uh, 57 i think it is 57 where there's two kind of ju- two kind of justices in mm-hmm. in the bible mm-hmm. there's the there's a the rectifying justice it's called misfit. That's the that's pronounced misput. It means punishing wrongdoers, that justice. I think that's what most people mean when they hyphenate it. If if you're involved in one of those hyphenated justices, you need to be punished for your wrongdoing because that's wrong.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, You're you're denying social justice or this justice or that justice. You need to be punished by it because of the victims. It's just an for unjust treatment. But the primary justice that the Bible really talks about is saketa, and it's it is it is, uh, it is um, behavior that, if it really were prevalent in the world today, would render rectifying justice or any of the hyphenated justices unnecessary, because everyone would be living in the right relationship with everyone else.
1: Yes, and, and so
2: that's what uh, when he says do justice. He means live in a right relationship with everyone else. And that's, that's God's justice. And that's who the chief justice is. And if we could ever get to that, uh, this world would be a, a whole lot better place to live.
1: Amen. Amen. That's right. Yep. And I, it begins with each of us as individuals and then coming together as, as groups of people, communities. The body of Christ certainly needs to be at the forefront and, and, and leading in that.
3: Yes.
2: If
1: we can uh, examine our own lives and see what we need to change and the things that we need to address and, and then move forward together, there is, there is power in that. And I believe the Lord would be in that for sure. Um, and
2: it's interesting in, in the chart, Mike, in the chart, uh, the hunger for justice, the fruit of the spirit that corresponds with that in this chart is long suffering. Mm. If you're going to have real justice, you're going to have to be long suffering. Yes, because it's, things are not going to go your way and you're going to get treated badly. Nobody in this world gets treated good all the time. That's you're right. going to be treated mm. badly. And then what If you don't go to long suffering, then what you're wanting to do is go to the flesh and you're going to dive into hatred and contentions. Yes. And the scripture there says, if you hate your brother, you're not one of mine. Well,
1: we've certainly seen, seen that played out across America in the last um, couple of years.
2: Indeed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chapter six, you describe, um, the soul hunger of control and the antithesis to control anger and jealousy. Now I want to, want to share with uh, our, our viewers, those who have joined us today, Otis, uh, a quote from that chapter. He wrote this uh, controlling people and circumstances has never been God's plan for other people. Consequently, that type of control never lasts long nor ends well. This truth is critical to understand because the object of our control usually determines the means by which we will try to achieve it. Since it's not in God's plan for us to control others, attempting to do so ultimately results in a failure spiral, constantly demanding we intensify efforts so we don't surrender what control we have. Sadly, Doing so only deepens our hunger for more and more control. In short, we will never satisfy our hunger for control if we set out to control the people in our life. Wow, that quote right there, Otis, I think there are a lot of people listening who would testify that the need for control, the need to control, that they have exhibited or that someone else in their life has exhibited has has nearly if not completely destroyed a relationship it is a very dangerous thing isn't it
2: it is very dangerous and the interesting thing is it's it's one of it's one of the hungers that god has given us and and we abuse it We Mm -hmm. we abuse it. And the control actually wasn't to control others. Control was actually to control yourself. That's right. Because your attitude, Uh, because he knew there were going to be, there was going to, things were going to come against you and you weren't going to get your way all the time. And so you need to be able to be in control of yourself to control your response to that. You know, controlling our responses to people and situations are really the only thing that can be controlled when it comes to people and circumstances is our attitude,
3: mm-hmm. our
2: attitude toward it. And if, if we have control of ourselves, then we don't have to, we don't have to go to jealousies and anger because if we can't control, we usually resort to jealousies and anger. I had somebody tell me one time in a counseling session, they, they said, Pastor, if I can get angry enough, I can control anything.
1: Oh,
3: <laughs> and,
2: wow. Uh, <laughs> and then it was like wow yeah yeah wow and that was i i, I wrote a uh I, I wrote a blog for focus on the family um and um I sent it and that was back in 2006 and somebody has taken it in 2014 and used it and um uh, and and then i tried to i used it in this book and the uh copy editor said hey you're using somebody I said no that was originally mine and I had to send (laughs) when I originally wrote and and it's the coffee cup thing and and that that person had told me that if I get angry enough then I can control anything and I said okay let's talk about this anger and I said the the secretary it was here in the office and she had brought in a couple of cups of coffee and we were just sitting here having, having a conversation and I said to her when she said that, uh, I said, um, because she thought she thought anger was a good thing. And I said, well, anger is only mentioned in the work of the flesh. It's not mentioned in the fruit of the spirit. And people say, well, God was angry. Well, if it's a kind of anger that's in the works of the flesh, then he sinned. Because it's the work of the flesh. He himself put it in the work of the flesh. So my anger and God's anger is not the same anger. It's not, it, it's not the same as the ones that's in the work of the flesh, and she said, "If it, it, anger, it's good. God got angry, so I can get angry." And they call it a righteous anger. I said, "Well, that's an oxymoron. That's like saying jumbo shrimp. Uh, it, it, it's the, the, the righteous anger. Can you really have a righteous anger? And you go into it, it, it. We don't need to go over here. To that's another discussion. God's anger altogether. But I asked her. I said, "If you, uh, if, if if you bump that cup." sitting there in front of you, what would spill out? And she looked at me like it's a trick question. And she said, well, coffee. I said, well, why wouldn't Diet Coke spill out or orange juice spill out of there? She said, because coffee is what's in there. I said, exactly. So when you say the boss makes me angry, my spouse makes me angry, my uh, neighbor makes me angry, I say to you, they do not. All they do is bump your cup
3: mm.
2: and they trigger the anger that's already in you. So when somebody bumps that cup, what's in there is going to spill out. And in you, I said, anger is what pervade, is pervasive in your life. And somebody bumps your emotional cup, anger is going to spill all over them. And so you need to change the contents of that cup. And you do that in control. You control how you respond to any given situation or any person. And you do that through, you look at the, uh, through kindness. You do it through kindness. And you know, uh, Ephesians, is it, is, it, is it Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, 31? I think it is where it says, uh, um, uh, put away all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking. With all malice, with all intent to hurt, put it away. We, psychology would tell you, manage your anger. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that anger is the only work of the flesh that gets management classes. (laughs) Manage, manage your anger. Mm -hmm. No, the Bible says, put it away from you. Mm -hmm. Put it away from you and be kind hearted to each other, tender hearted, even as God you know, he goes on. So in the works in the uh, chart, kindness is the opposite of, of jealousies and, you and all, and, um, and anger. Um, so that's what I said. You fill your cup with kindness. And when somebody bumps that cup, they get kindness.
1: Amen. Amen. And, uh,
2: and so c- control. It was meant to control us, not to control somebody else.
1: That's right yeah the the misuse of that is yeah, for sure again, friends, soul hunger, satisfy your heart's deepest longing dr j otis ledbetter the the book is available um on um otis's website, and that is j o ledbetter dot com under the books tab j o ledbetter under the books tab or on amazon and i i, I would encourage you to get it from from uh, Otis's website, unless those are tied into, do, do you have a store that you would send them directly, Otis? Yeah, I
2: can, yeah, I can ship it myself. But it, you, you can get Amazon, you can get it tomorrow on Amazon. Yeah. So. Well, but you
1: can't get a, but you can't get a signed copy from Amazon. Yeah,
2: if you ask for a signed copy, I would certainly do that.
1: <laughs> so I would encourage you to get a signed copy, friends, uh, directly from. Dr. Otis. Uh, It's been a joy. Once again, Otis, we, we, we obviously did not get through, uh, your book again. Uh, and that's okay. I I think what, what, uh, the Lord, the Holy Spirit led us to share and to converse about was, was important. And, and I believe that it, um, really poured into some people's lives who joined us today. So, so we've got just a minute left. Um, let's conclude this. this conversation, Otis, what do you hope people would get out of this book?
2: I hope they would find how to walk in the spirit and and understand that it is a daily choice. When you get up in the morning, just like what you're going to wear, it's a daily choice. Am I going to descend into the works of the flesh with this with with this dominant hunger I have, or am I going to ascend into the fruit of the spirit and let God get the glory of my life? That's what I hope. I just, I wish that for every believer.
1: Amen. Amen. Well, thank you again, Otis, so much for sharing your heart and, and, uh, and all that God has poured into you and blessing the, uh, those that have joined us here today on WCN TV.
2: My pleasure. Thank you for asking
1: you're you're very welcome. Well, that's all we have, folks. Please share this program with uh, on your platforms, your social media uh, platforms, and with your friends, and encourage them to to get the book and and read it. And I, I'm telling you, if you do, it is going to answer a lot of questions for you in your own life, and you're going to find yourself wanting to pass that book along, just like I did. God bless you guys. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week here on WCNTV.net.